were opening up. I don't open up. Do you know, do you know me at all? I don't open up. I... Oh, hi. It's Pete Pomisano. And welcome to the We're Almost There edition of our LTP's Off-Road. We're almost there because, uh, well, things are supposedly getting a little better. So I guess we're almost there. And also because the podcast is also almost there. We're almost up to our newly revised format. And in the revised format, we'll have four interviews instead of the one long form that I always have had in the past the future podcasts will have four participants instead of just one and it's a format that we're going to continue for the foreseeable future at least until we get out from under this COVID-19 thing and I can get out and actually see people in person instead of zooming with everybody what what did we do without zoom I don't know So the format that we have worked out for the near future is that we are going to try to broaden our focus a little bit so that we include more than just the Buffalo theater community, but also some of the many Buffalo cultural institutions that have also been hit pretty hard by this COVID-19 situation. And we thought we would give them a voice as well to speak to the community, to speak to their patrons, their fans, the people who wonder what's going on with them. So each podcast will consist of two theater folks and two from the other cultural entities. Now, we'll keep the theater folk relatively short. We just want to know how things are going with them, what news they can tell us about their plans for the future. And for the cultural institutions, we will speak to them at a little bit more length to find out what they're doing and how they're coping with quarantine and the gradual reopening of the area. Now, to start things off, I thought I would bring in a man who was supposed to be scheduled for a long-form interview, who has a fascinating life, who everyone in the Buffalo Theater community knows and loves— and who was kind enough to take time out from his continuing teaching duties to uh, speak to us, and that's Mr. Anthony Chase. Following him, Dave Swartz from the Buffalo and Erie County Botanical Gardens over there on South Park, one of my favorite places to visit. And then after him, a longer-form interview, a leftover, the last one from the previous format, with Mr. Chris Handley, who is going to be taking over the Alleyway Theater, which I'm sure you've heard, because Neil Raddus, the founder and proprietor of the Alleyway Theater for so many years, has decided to retire. And Chris Handley is going to take over the reins, and he'll tell us what his plans are for the future of that theater. And finally, last but not least, Miss Lisa Ludwig from Shakespeare in Delaware Park, because we're all desperate to know what's going on with Shakespeare in Delaware Park this summer. And she will enlighten us on the decision that's just been made and tell us all about what's going on with SDP. Also, somewhere in the middle of this, I'm going to insert a little mystery guest. See if you can guess who it is. It's a friend of mine, someone who sent in a little message of hope, someone who uh, a lot of people in the theater community will know. See if you can guess who it is. But first, Mr. Tony Chase. Could have been two lots of days ago. 
Well, that was my first question. Are you still teaching? We just finished, um, but I will teach again in the summer. I did theater history, and then I'll do a, a queer drama course for graduate students in the summer. How are you feeling about the, the distance learning? Well, you do the best you can. Everyone has stepped up to the plate. It's not it's not ideal. Are you getting good student response? Yes. Yeah. I'm quite devoted. And of course, many, many distractions have been removed from their lives. So <laughs> there. That's true. No place else to go. Right. They've been doing their homework. And how have you been personally? Good. No complaints. Javier's good. Everything's good. Everything's good. How about you? I've just been sitting home for about uh, seven weeks now and trying to accomplish a lot of little projects around the house because that's all I can do. And uh, for me, it's been a blessing. I've gotten a lot of things done. A lot of painting things that I, you know, you know, the things that you put on your list. When I have time, I'll do this. But you know damn well you're never going to have time. Well, yeah, everything was neat as a pin. Um, and then we realized, well, we have all this time and we're home. So we started pulling stuff out of storage and let's sort through this. And now everything's in chaos again. But we're kind of doing our Scandinavian death cleaning. When we're gone, our families don't have to sort through this stuff. One of the things I wanted to ask you about is, well, I haven't talked to you in a while. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are on the truncated season and how things are going to look for our future. I can't predict the future, but uh, <laughs> no. I tend to be pretty um, pragmatic about that. It's disappointing, but that's all it is. That's uh, in view of the larger picture of the reason why. I hope everyone is staying safe and well. It's not as if this is not real. We lost um, Joe Jambra. We, Terrence McNally died within the first days of this. It's, it's life and death. And uh, in the big picture, what's really important. Right. This is inconvenient, but it's not. I, I'm lucky to have been able to keep working, which so many people were not able to do. So I count my personal blessings there. Yes. I tried to be um, compassionate and helpful toward others. But, you know, my attitude on the, the truncated season, it's uh, I can't exactly rail against fate that I'm, I'm not able to see mm -hmm. this Diana musical. Well, it's, it's, you know, I, I try to look optimistically and I, I, feel, I feel that we'll come back from this and maybe we'll learn some things about maybe some better ways to do things. At least that's, that's my hope. Oh, oh, uh oh. Is that your email? A message from Neil Raddus. It's undoubtedly, uh, Neil has had to retire during COVID-19. So that's a strange way to go. <laughs> sort of. I talked to Chris Handley the other day, I think I mentioned to you, and taking over in the middle of COVID-19 is even more terrifying, I would imagine, because whatever plans he had are on hold, at least. Well, at least I think that Neil leaves a, a tidy ledger book. Mm -hmm. I think that uh, Neil was always very tidy about the business of operating the theater, about the, about the facility, um, some would say obsessive. Uh, and I think that the current crisis has exposed some of the vulnerabilities of some theaters. It's not the very, very small ones because they have almost no overhead. They just don't produce and they don't have mortgages. They only pay rents when they are producing. So they're, it's not the very small ones. It's the middle and larger ones that if they had no cash reserves, now is the time that it's going to show. Yes. And you see the ones who had to let the entire staff go, the, the, those who did not. Um, fascinatingly, Shakespeare and Delaware Park among the best prepared because they knew that they were vulnerable to nature. Of course, they were fearful of a summer when it rained every day. Well, nature has intervened, but in a remar remarkably different and rather more scary way, but they're ready and they can keep going. But interesting set of planets aligning there that they 
never get box office other than what they collect on the hill, so they were not um, deprived of the loss of it. But others were, are, we are finding lived very, very close to the vest or even to the point of, of deficit, and this will test them. Do you see any great changes when, when there is finally a, a vaccine available? I mean, do you see smaller houses surviving or not? Because you, for them to cut down to half their, their, their audience, for example. Not possible. Not possible. Well, no, it's not what the theater is. That uh, the theater do, it will depend upon people in one place close together. It's why Broadway has announced flat out, until this is dealt with. Yes. They cannot reopen. Well, can it be that much different for the Kavanoki? Really? How would you even handle the, the bathrooms? <laughs> that that uh, I had a friend who, uh, you know, this week wanted to have a birthday party in his back garden, and he said, well, we'll do social distancing. And I said, well, what will you do when one of your guests needs to use your bathroom? <laughs> and my solution was, anyone who needs to go to the bathroom needs to go home. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, all right. <laughs> Very simple. Go before you get here, and then when you need to go again, you leave here. You go home. Right. <laughs> Did you happen to read an article? I think it was in the Times about Germany. They were talking about bringing back rehearsals, but everybody had to be six feet apart and everybody had to be, you know, socially distant. And and of course, they were saying we we can't do it this way. That's not what theater is all about. It's the collaboration, the, the working off of each other. And so I, I haven't read any follow ups to it, but clearly they decided. Well, we just we just won't be doing it. For, uh, until we can deal with it. Well, a lot of companies have, have been doing things on video, on Zoom, I think just to remind people that they exist yes. and that they will be back, not to say that this is a substitute for what we do. It's not It's not what they do. No. Uh, and some of it in the beginning really depressed me that uh, the. I think especially the Zoomed production of Terrence McNally, Lips Together, Teeth Apart, with four marvelous actors, each in their own little universe. And I just thought, I love this place so much. And this is just depressing me, <laughs> like off. Yeah, like, I didn't didn't want to do that. Making it even more pointed, the fact that you're not there witnessing it. Right, right. You want to say anything about the uh, the Arties? Well, it's that's a live event, you know. It's, uh, <laughs> I, I have reserved every Monday through Christmas, so eventually, if we're able to do it, we'll do it. There's no point in having the Arties unless we have a party. The Arties are a bringing together of the theater community, and you know, people typically don't remember by the time they're in matinee afterwards and Flynn's before that. Who want, you know, the point is dressing up and getting together. And without that, there are no arties. So we'll vote. We'll be ready. We toyed with the idea of doing it virtually for about five minutes and then realized. And it, then it just because becomes a competition and it's not a party at all. Not at all. Would you consider combining th this past truncated season with whatever the next shortened season might be? And It's going to be too long a time. Yes. And it's not as if we're falling behind nothing's happening <laughs> right that's that's true right but there was so much that didn't happen uh, so many shows that just never even so many horror stories about yes we're ready to go yes our preview audience was very happy go home and don't come back right well except there there is enough to have uh, a celebration of some yeah, sort and competitive categories it's not as if it's not still a horse race it's uh, it is <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> Even with some 50, 50 shows not happening, I knew yeah. the exact number, but it's been yeah. weeks. Well, listen, I, I appreciate you talking to me. I just wanted to get your feelings about things. I'm sorry that it has to be this way. 
I still want to meet with you at, an, at a future date. I just think your story would be, and, and I'm not the only one. Other people have said to me, why haven't you talked to Tony yet? And I said, well, I had plans to talk to him just before the Arties. Before the Arties. <laughs> well, let's do that. Let's talk just before the Arties. It may be December, it may be 2022, but right before the Arties. <laughs> anyway, thank you very much, Tony. I'll, uh, I'll send you a link if you ever want to listen to this crap. It's fun. I've enjoyed them. <laughs> well, thank you. I appreciate that. My best to Javier. Have a good day. I'll tell him. Bye-bye, Peter. Thank you, sir. Always a charming guy, Tony Chase. Followed up now by Dave Swartz from the Buffalo and Erie County Botanical Gardens. It's one of my favorite places. Whenever my grandchildren come up, it's at the top of my list of places to go, especially, especially around the holidays. But even just to go in there and walk in the door and, and that first aroma that greets you is is just wonderful. So I, I, you were one of the guys I wanted to speak to first. Well, great. Well, thank you so much. I'm pleased that you requested me to participate. And uh, I look forward to having this nice conversation. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. So what can you tell us about what's going on day to day at the at the garden right now? Is uh, I know you're, you're probably not considered an essential business, but you have to keep the plants alive. So what goes on there on a day-to-day basis? Well, we uh, stopped admitting visitors to the gardens back in mid-March. And so uh, what we did was uh, determine who the essential staff people would be. And of course, it would be the horticulture staff as well as the maintenance staff. And according to the guidelines, uh, we have no more than seven or eight people at the gardens at any particular time. Was that because of the governor's uh, request to bring down your percentage to a certain percentage of, right. of workers? We dis- we determined that those individuals were essential because they had to maintain the uh, living collection. Mm-hmm. And staff were, was essential as well, because obviously you have to keep the furnaces and all of the other uh, mechanical things moving forward. Sure. So, and the rest of the staff, non-essential staff, has been working from home. We uh, have meetings twice a week, uh, Zoom meetings, and we talk about all sorts of things that they're working on, uh, keep the place going, to conduct videos, to uh, run programs uh, online, to uh, generate revenue. We have a great plant sale going on and all those kinds of things so that we can continue to see income. Now, the essential staff, on a day-to-day basis. Uh, They work making sure that the plants are watered, obviously pruning, taking care of the maintenance side, taking care of uh, the structure that needs to be attended to, painting and that kind of thing. I imagine that there are very specific uh, problems that are specific to your situation there, such as keeping all heat and and so on. Everything's got to stay up to Speed. Yeah, it's since it's a living museum, it's other different than like the historic society or the science museum. We have to maintain the collection, and so uh, making sure that the watering schedule is done, the transplanting schedule is done, mm-hmm. the trimming. There's an awful lot of trimming that has to go on on a regular basis, and also the uh, horticulture team has been working on developing or uh, growing plants for the outdoor gardens. I see. Or the great plant sale, which is going on right now. Explain the great plant sale, if you would. It's been a fixture at the botanical gardens for years. The horticulture department uh, starts uh, planning for it in October of the previous year, getting ready for the great plant sale. And there are two parts to that, is the 
pre-sale, which uh, allows folks to go online and purchase plants pre-sale, and they get first indication of that in January. And we that pre-sale was available from January to May 1st. Now, beginning tomorrow, 497 orders, pre-sale orders, will begin to be picked up at the Botanical Gardens. In a, in, in a sort of a drive-through situation where... Drive-through situation. What happens is, if you have a pre-sale order, you have to select a time when you're coming, mm-hmm. and then your plants will be, and it's all prepaid for, your plants will be in a specific location in the parking lot. Terrific. You pull in, you're told where to go, you pick it up, uh, the plants up, put them in your car, and you leave. <laughs> and uh, we have, uh, that will begin tomorrow, the 15th, and run through the 16th, 17th, 18th, and if we need the 19th. And as of this morning, only four customers have not signed up out of that 487. Wow, that's terrific. It's a huge, huge operation putting these uh, orders together. Now, also beginning last Saturday, online individuals could go and purchase plants from our general plant, great plant sale, following the same procedure, looking at what's available online, paying by credit card, and those pickups will begin on May 30th and go for about three or four days. Okay. So as a revenue producer for us, it's something that we needed special consideration from the county as well as from the city of Buffalo to put this sale on because Ring Road at South Park is closed to traffic. I understand. Open to accommodate this. So everything's going well. The staff is working very, very hard to prepare. And uh, we're looking forward, and it'll bring in some revenue. You know, this may be a crazy question, but have you... I'm of the belief that this quarantine will have some creativity going on, people discovering new ways of doing things, new ways of necessity, but maybe things that will say, you know what, this actually works better. Have you made any discoveries where you've said, this is a problem of ours, but now we're forced to do it this way, like the online sales and so on? You may not have anything, but I'm wondering if people are going to discover new ways of doing things that they might just continue in in the non-quarantine days? Well, I think there's a lot of uh, merit to that comment. We see it in a lot of different ways. For example, even with this great plant sale, in the past, we would have on Friday when people would pick up, they had Friday and Saturday to pick up. Yes. We'd get 100 people all at 6 o'clock on a Friday. I see. Now we don't have that anymore. This new system, and I think it'll work well, this curbside pre-sale approach will work. And uh, we may have to modify it a little bit for the general plant sale beginning on May 30th. But also this whole notion of time ticketing. Mm -hmm. Maybe we need to be thinking about that, particularly if uh, the gathering notion that will maybe provide people with some hesitation not to come to an event, if we can tell them that if you arrive with so many people at 10 o'clock in the morning, yes. you will have an hour and a half here at the gardens, and then we can schedule people uh, similarly. Uh, Zoom meetings at home. Not everyone needs to be at work every single day. Yes. And that we're oftentimes pretty productive. Other things, too, that are happening, these videos that we've been doing, they're fantastic. If you go on our website, buffalogardens.com, and go to Connect Now, mm-hmm. you'll be able to see all of these wonderful videos, uh, tours, also uh, interviews coming up with people, uh, horticulturalists who work at the garden, what they're working on, that kind of thing. People 
particularly now, love that. Our hits on social media have gone through the roof. Well, that's wonderful. Unfortunately, this podcast will not be up till a week from Monday, so it'll be past your great plant sale. But it's good to know about other things that are continuing. Do you have something else that's coming up? Well, the botanical gardens and museums are considered not essential for the reopening. So we would not be eligible to reopen until the fourth phase. I understand. So we estimate right now that if everything goes well, Erie County and the Western region, we would not open for museums, non-essential would not open until middle to the end of July. Okay. Wow. So that means that events that we've had, weddings and showers and birthday parties, horticulture classes at the gardens, make it, take it classes at the gardens, all have either been postponed, ended, or gone to online video, particularly with the classes using Zoom. So when we look in July, we have seven or eight events scheduled in July. We're holding off to determine whether or not we can schedule those, and uh, we may not be able to. So what we're concentrating on now is developing a reopening plan. I see. That is geared toward the middle of July. And hopefully that'll happen. And I imagine you have some, in this planning, you've created a bunch of contingencies. Well, if this, then face masks only, or or maybe we don't need face masks, or how many limiting the number of people who come in the door, I'm sure is going to be at least partially part of the plan. All of that is part of the draft plan. We've created now an internal task force that will take this draft plan and flesh it out, add lots of detail to it, and they will have about a week, week and a half to do all of that. Now, of course, when you take a look at it, we have to be concerned primarily about the safety of our visitors and our staff. So all of the protocols that uh, the state of New York are requiring and uh, the county of Erie, CDC, it seems as though they do have some guidelines out there, although the heftier guidelines have not been released by the administration. Don't understand why that hasn't happened yet. But all of the masks, the cleaning procedures, the social distancing procedures, how the visitors would meander through the gardens one directional way so that we can control who comes in, how many come in at one time. So these are all part of the plan. Just being able to order masks, face shields, sanitizers yes, in order to be open. It's a very, very difficult task to find that stuff in the quantities that we knew, need and to get them shipped to us in the timetable that we need. So a lot of challenges that face us as we move forward, and not just for us. Every organization that's planning on opening will face the same kind of challenges. And so what we're trying to do is work very closely with the cultural community, the Greater Buffalo Cultural Alliance. We have a conversation tomorrow about how reopening would work. And some of the other museums uh, within our community, we're talking with and looking to meet with them so that we can share reopening plans, so that we can get an idea that maybe we don't have from someone else. So a lot of collaboration, and it gets back to your other point about this crisis having some positive impacts. And what I see happening is an opportunity for greater communication and coordination with organizations of like mind, that kind of thing. And your, in particular, your situation, you'll have to actually come up with a floor plan of how people can head through the entire garden, through the entire museum in one direction, one way, following all the way around. That's 
that's got to be a unique, well, not unique to you, because of course the science museum, the history and so on, they, they would all have similar issues. But um, yeah, that's a big consideration. So when we take a look at it, we look at the linear square footage of traveling through the gardens in a one-way pattern. And we know what that square footage is. And then we determine how many individuals per hour could we have come in every six feet. And, uh, and then, of course, the cleaning schedule. How do you sanitize the lavatories? You need to test these protocols first. So who do you test them on? Maybe you test them on members only initially for a week or two until you get all of the kinks out of this new system and mm -hmm. maybe open it up to uh, others as well. But it's very challenging and it's going to require an awful lot of uh, thought, consideration and planning to make it all happen. What I wanted to ask is when you do reach the certain point where you're allowed to open, are you still waiting for uh, the rules of what? that will be at that time? Or have they been discussed or have they not even been discussed yet? Because you're way, you know, you're like theaters and we're way, way, way at the bottom of the list of, right. you know, of what's to be considered essential. So at that point, will they then send you new guidelines for opening? We are developing opening plans and other organizations are based upon the requirements, the phasing requirements. And so it's incumbent upon us to develop our plans. No one's going to come in and say to us, Dave, here's exactly what you must do in your organization. So what we've been doing is meeting with the uh, on uh, Zoom and webinars with the American Professional Gardens Association. Oh. And we've uh, met maybe four or five times. There's another meeting this afternoon. And all across the country and around the world, we had 1,300 participants wow. in our call last week. And we share ideas and how we can open. And, and, and there's, uh, it's been extremely helpful. So based upon that, other information uh, that we've received from uh, sample guidelines, we are developing guidelines for the botanical gardens from that information. And each of us will have specific nuances to that as we move forward. But in order to open, we will have to have a plan which minimally considers social distancing, sanitizing, and those kinds of things, which we intend to do, and hopefully uh, it'll work. So the fact that you're actually meeting with people around the world who are dealing with the same situation, but nobody's inventing the wheel by themselves. Every, this is, you're all helping. Now that also, there's another plus. I don't know if you did that regularly before this, but it certainly seems like, okay, there, there's a positive coming out of this. You have communicated with people around the world who are in similar situations and deal. And I do want to bring up kind of a sore subject, and I devour the news every day. So of course, I have read that because the county is in going to be in dire financial straits, I know about the, the fact that they've cut the 2.5 million you were supposed to get for your expansion. What can you tell us about that? Well, that was not uh, cut. It was deferred. Deferred. Okay. And uh, the, uh, the capital campaign, the quiet phase of the capital campaign continues, albeit it's it's not as robust an activity because it's difficult to communicate with people and bring them in for tours and those kinds of things. But we're doing lots of other things, and uh, we're continuing to move forward with the architects and the engineers, moving from schematic to design development phase. We still are hopeful that this project goes forward. 
and uh, we're working uh, to make that a reality. So it's been challenging. There's no question about that, but we're all facing challenges. Sure. What we're hoping for is that at some point, point, we hope that there'll be some return to normalcy. And the hopefully if the uh, federal government provides resources to states then to localities to help offset some of the deficits that they're incurring or expenses they're incurring and deficits from addressing this crisis, that there will be opportunities for some kind of infrastructure support as well. And so we need to be thinking about making our projects shovel ready. I see. So recall back in 2008, 2009, the federal government came up with a huge stimulus program to uh, jumpstart the economy. And a lot of that was construction related. And it seems to me and others that a similar kind of approach may have to take place. And when I was in state government at the time, we worked very closely to identify shovel-ready projects, and they would jump to the top of the list in terms of getting funding. So this is something that uh, we're watching very, very closely and hopefully planning for. And then if things uh, do improve, then obviously the willingness of individuals who aren't focused on their own personal safety right now, rightly so, will hopefully be uh, uh, more willing to uh, to assist on efforts like this. We think the project is viable. It's uh, certainly uh, something that has garnered significant support so far. So we hope. It- yes, I read how much it would draw into into the economy. Yeah. So yes, it completely is viable. It's just that money is going to be in short supply. When you say deferred, do you say? by about a year, or do you think this might put it off longer? No way to tell. I don't know what the answers to that that question would be. That's a decision that we'll talk about. I think the county executive and the legislature have other things on their mind right now, as opposed to a timetable for the Botanical Gardens construction project. <laughs> uh, I mean, I wish it had higher priority, but I'm realistic and I know what the priority is, and it has to be the health and safety of the public. So that's where the priority is. Well, I, I don't want to keep you too much longer, but I do want to ask if you want to do a little sales pitch. I wish there was something coming up. Unfortunately, as I said, we're going to miss your great plant sale in terms of in terms of promoting it. Well, you won't miss it completely because right now is the pre-sale that's going on. Okay. But there still is an opportunity, even if you podcast this a week from Monday, mm-hmm. for people to go online and purchase for the great plant sale which pickups will begin on May 30th. So there will be some time there. Okay, well, that's good to know. Is there anything else you, by the way, have you been communicating with patrons? Do you have a uh, an email reg- that goes out regularly to subscribers and so on? Yeah, on our email list, we have about 12,000 on the email list, uh, plus every uh, type of social media we communicate uh, with regularly. Uh, we have two folks in our marketing team who do extensive social media exercises. They, the development team spends a lot of time with members, communicating with them. Our volunteers, our coordinator, she has Zoom meetings once a week with the volunteers just to keep them all engaged. So I think we're doing a really good job communicating with the public, and we will continue to uh, uh, work and enhance those efforts as we move forward. Is there anything you want to say to to is there, if people wanted to help out or wanted to become involved in some way, yeah, just go to the website or are there things come, that you could specifically name? I think that uh, we would like the public to understand that we're struggling. Every uh, organization, uh, not-for-profit, is struggling right now. And uh, we're determined to keep this going. 
if they can uh, go online to our website, www.buffalogardens.com, uh, maybe become a member. You know, uh, memberships help us out. It brings in money. And then we, uh, that family or those individuals have an opportunity to come to the gardens unlimited times throughout the year. And uh, that would be a big help to us. We also have an annual appeal going on right now, which, by the way, is bringing in record numbers of funds compared to previous years. So people are watching and listening, and those fortunate enough to have uh, discretionary funds are actually helping out not-for-profits at a level higher than what we've seen in the past. We hope that that continues. Uh, the Botanical Gardens, along with other organizations, uh, certainly could use uh, some support and get us through these tough times. And hopefully, the bottom line is, you want to be ready for when you open. You want to make sure that the visitor experience is incredible. And you want to make sure that we don't lay off people. I see. We don't cut health care. So we have a commitment to the public, and we also have a, a, a commitment to sustaining our staff and their families as well. Dave Swartz, President and CEO of the Buffalo and Erie County Botanical Gardens. I appreciate you joining me here today. Thank you very much, and boy, I hope this doesn't go much longer than the first round of all of these people I'm going to talk to. But if I have to speak to you again, I will contact you, and, and I appreciate your time. Well, thank you very much. Wish you well and uh, stay healthy and safe to you and your family. Same to you. Safe and sane. There you Thank you. <laughs> Bye now. Have a good one. Bye-bye. Now, see, I thought that was very interesting that Dave Swartz has mentioned that they've been in communication with botanical gardens all over the world. Everybody's in this together and everybody's trying to solve the problem and find a solution. I don't know. But before we continue, here's a message from The Bunker. A mystery guest, someone who is going to just give us a few words from his part of the world where he has been quarantined with the rest of us. I want to use this extra time we've been given to make my life and my wife's life better. And our lives are pretty good already. But I've got time. I have all the time in the world. And... If I don't use it, then I guess I didn't really want it. You know, these dreams that I have, then they're just pipe dreams. If I don't take action after making a decision, if I don't take action after having a creative thought, now that I have the time to do that stuff, well, then I must not have really wanted it. Now, if you feel pressured to improve your life using this time, let me ask you, where's that pressure coming from? It's probably not coming from anybody else. It's coming from you. So you can decide not to follow that voice in your head, or you can follow it and maybe create something pretty wonderful. I hope that's what happens to me. Thank you, sir. Just some friendly words from a friend. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Chris Handley. Yeah, well, of course, it's the middle of May. Of course, it's cold. Of course. It's, it's not July yet. Anyway, Chris, good to talk to you. I'm so glad to have finally made contact with you. Uh, yeah. I absolutely have. Uh, I, I talked to you after uh, Tally's Folly for, for a brief moment, when, which you were with, uh, with my friend Anne Rowaldi Boucher, uh, and the two of you just made a lovely, a lovely evening of it for me. 
And I think I told you then I knew within the first 30 seconds of you talking that I said, okay, we're in good hands. This, this guy's fun. And I, well, that's very generous. I don't, I, it's, uh, I love that play. I love that whole experience. That was so delightful. And it's what plays should be, right? Which is two people having this wonderful conversation and just like, yes, you, I don't know if you know what's going to happen or not. I don't, I never know what's going to happen in this story. I'm always, I can't think ahead, which is a, a fault sometimes, I think, but also it keeps me in the moment. And I just, like when I'm in the audience, I never know what's going to happen. And I think we'll be seeing a lot more two-person and one-person plays for the coming few months or years. So Chris, tell me a little bit about yourself. I, I of course, did some research, but of course, the only research I <laughs> I do anymore is Google and Facebook. You know, whatever, whatever you put on your Google, uh, not in your Google, on your website and whatever you put on Facebook, I already know, but people, I mean, I, I didn't know that you were from Buffalo originally that where, whereabouts South town from Elma, from Elma. Wow. I'm in Hamburg right now. I've been here for 40 years. So it's, and so you went to public school out there or Catholic school or what'd you do? I went to um, Catholic school for 13 years. I went to uh, St. Vincent's out in Springbrook. And then I went to Canisius High School, and then I did one year of uh, Mercyhurst College in Erie, Pennsylvania. And then you went to Fredonia. And then I transferred to Fredonia, yeah. Well, first of all, tell me about your family. Are there show business types in your family, or is it like, my father never saw a play in his life, (laughs) that kind of thing? I would say there are um, homegrown comedians in my family. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Nobody's really show business, but I definitely credit my grandfather with my interest in all of this. I don't know how, yeah, I I credit my grandfather because he took me to, I don't know if you remember, Darien Lake used to have a circus and we had season passes to Darien Lake when I was a kid and grandma and grandpa would take me, I don't know how many times a week, and we would go to watch this circus And oftentimes, I think we were the only people in the audience. We would see all three shows a day. And from that moment, my is my dream to be the ringmaster of a circus. I think it's the (laughs) the greatest job in the world. So grandpa would take me to the circus and we'd watch and then, you know, come home and have to put on a circus at home, of course. Of course you do. So I, you know, walked the tightrope with a string across the floor and rolled a um a bunch of newspaper up and bend you know bended it like the strong man and put a some velcro on the end of a uh, broom handle with a velcro in a bottle and you know balance the bottle wow you were into it (laughs) oh yeah that's very cool yeah i remember doing similar stuff in the the basement you hang a you know a sheet up and then everybody's got to come down and see our show which of course was a terrible show. So we'll blame your grandfather or give him credit for the characters that you used so successfully in Shakespeare when you were <laughs> doing Twelve Nights and such. Yeah. Were you scheduled to do Shakespeare this year, by the way? Yes. Oh, that's... Yeah, I was supposed to do um, Touchstone in As You Like It. Yeah. Well, I keep thinking that somehow something positive is going to come out of this, that we will discover new ways of doing things, new ways yeah. of entertaining people, new ways of keeping ourselves healthy and safe. At least that's that's the only optimistic thing I can hope for is that we will say, well, you know what? We tried doing this now because we had to. And you know what? That's a better way to do whatever. I keep hoping we'll discover some better ways to do things. Well, I, I guess I guess I want to know, first of all, did, did you start doing things in elementary school and then can yeah. you 
and then and then you went specifically to Fredonia, obviously for for a theater. Yeah. So when I was in, oh, I think it was sixth grade. I think my parents had had enough of the basement shows, um, <laughs> and they said we got to do something with this kid. So um, this kid needs to get out. Yeah. So they got me. Um, they signed me up at Studio Arena Theater School. Okay. And uh, Ansley Valentine was the director of that. Um, I started in the stage crew class one summer. And I remember that summer they did On the Razzle and The Man Who Came to Dinner and Big River. And I remember watching, and full productions on that stage, yes. you know, with, with kids. And I remember watching Big River. And at that point, that was before they had closed off the orchestra pit there. So the like the Tom Sawyer gang crawled into the pit. And I remember watching them come out of there and, and that whole show. And I thought, this is what I got to do. I got to be in these shows. And so so I started in class there. And then... Was that while you were still in grade school? That was in grade school. So that was like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. And your parents were enthusiastic and, and positive about this? Or were yeah. they literally just trying to get this crazy kid out of the house? I, well, I, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, they, they were encouraging. I, but I, they're I, very encouraging. That's they're, that's I'm, yeah, the more people that I meet in this business whose parents were not encouraging right. is so disappointing and frustrating to me. My parents were are continually so gracious and wonderful and amazing about it. my siblings too, whatever, you know, they're not in show business either. They're in real jobs. <laughs> I have, yeah, a great family, great parents. It's wonderful to have that support. Yeah, absolutely. So then from the theater school, from Studio Arena? Yeah, and then I did shows at Aurora Players. Michael Breen got me, well, he was at, he came out to St. Vincent's, and at some point we got into a conversation about plays, and he said, well, I'm doing Our Town at Aurora Players, why don't you come audition? And so my buddy and I went audition, this was, I think, seventh grade, and we got cast as baseball players. Mike Garvey was whatever his name is. Who's the guy in our town? Emily and uh, whatever his name is. Mike Garvey's playing. So that was my first play. And then I did The Music Man. I got started at Aurora Players. And then I went to Canisius and uh, auditioned for the plays um, at Canisius and Narden. Had you been doing musical sort of training in any way? Like voice training or anything? You know, I did. I took... Um, when would that have started? Maybe maybe in high school, I started taking voice lessons from uh, Linda Koziel out in um, Lancaster. But that was high school, I think. Mm -hmm. Mary Beth Spooner and Bill Group ran the drama program at Canisius, and Joan Ricca um, ran it at Narden. Just a great, a great experience doing all kinds of shows, and um, I did every play possible in, in high school. And then the summer before my senior year of high school... I thought, well, I've had enough of this. I got to do my own thing. And so some friends and I started our own theater company. Of course, that's what you do. That's what you do. <laughs> and so I called up, I, you know, me, this nobody, I called up Vincent O'Neill and I said, I want to rent your theater. <laughs> and uh, I'm sure he doesn't remember this at all to this day, but. Well, I'm sure he gets this call all the time. <laughs> But he said, okay, fine, you can do the play, but you can't tell <laughs> you can't tell anybody you're doing it here. So we did Macbeth. Wow. And uh, we rehearsed literally in my parents' barn. Mm -hmm. And then we went, we moved downtown. And two the, the witches were um Marie um Costa and Maureen Sheldon were two of the witches. And we did the show at the Irish and but we couldn't publicize it, which now is like, of course, 
Of course that makes sense. Why would you why would you let these high school kids do a show and announce that it's happening at your theater? No, you'd never do that. No. Now I get it. But back then I was like, well, this is hard to get an audience. Well, you don't want every high school kid in this in the city calling you up saying, Chris Hanley did it. Why can't we do it? <laughs> exactly. I think the show was probably not very good. So that was uh that was high school and then somehow that didn't discourage you. Good for you. I guess not. I guess it made me think about like I don't know what it made me think of. I imagine you didn't publicize it, but you must have, all the parents must have known. I mean, it was- You just couldn't make it a public- But it was a good first step. I mean, that's that's how things should be done, right? Like do it in in an incubator so that you can test out the problems. And you're doing everything on your own. You're learning everything, all the technical aspects and all of the, what little promotion you had, you're learning all that on your own as well. Yeah, and that company we we did every summer for for about five years. We then switched to musicals, um, and we we did shows out at out at the Aurora Players. We rented their space, and then we rented the theater loft uh, from Lorna. Lorna, sure. For I, I think that was four years, and we did um, four years of summer stock, and we we you know felt great about it and learned a lot. And you did a great job of not publicizing it because <laughs> <laughs> this is the first I've heard of any of this. Well, this is a long time ago, and it yeah. was. Well, I've been around for almost 40 years in the Buffalo Theater community. Well, then you should have known. You should have seen our show. I sh- <laughs> Okay, that ends the interview. Bye, everybody. <laughs> Chris just signed off, I'm afraid. We ended up with a couple arty nominations. It was called Dramatis Personae. Oh, my God. Now, now, see, now that I have heard of. That's amazing. You must have seen some of our better <laughs> productions. <laughs> Dramatist persona, it might have been from the front of a Shakespeare play, for all I know. Well, that's where we, you know, yes. uh, what are we going to do? And we're doing Macbeth and we're reading along. We said, oh, that's a good title. That's we're the people title. in the play. That's great. That's a great story. I yeah, I learned a lot. I learned, I mean, it was a really exciting time of uh, creating things. Nobody telling you not to do anything. Yes. Because we're just kids, so you have that excuse of saying, well, I don't know. And and then you were on a riverboat and, and you were... Just- I'll give you the cliff notes. I'll try Sure. So I, um, yeah, I did Fredonia, which was which was great. I graduated from Fredonia. I did some children's theater in in a van, driving across the Midwest, going to cafeterias, performing two person versions of shows for kids who didn't care. And then uh, and then I did move to New York. Um, I was there for about eight years, I think, and auditioned a lot and did a lot of either bad theater or I don't want to say that but not great (laughs) but uh, you know some one of the best things about New York was my day job which was uh working in the box office and I worked at um second stage theater and I worked at the vineyard um and then I ran the box office at the vital theater and for about five years I did that and it was I felt like a I learned a lot because I just kept listening to, uh, I was, I was in the room while people would walk by and I would get to eavesdrop on a lot of important conversations um, and hear how things happened and sort of, I don't want to say that I dug through the files on the computer drive, but I dug through the files on the computer drive and I learned. Nobody will know. That's fine. But it's, but I, it was a great experience and I called it the box office parade and I, I got to quote, meet a lot of celebrities which means I handed them their ticket through a pane of glass. But um, but even so, what an interesting, I've never heard anybody before tell me, I mean, that's an interesting perspective to be behind the glass, to be there and you hear 
conversations that are going on and you and you meet people whether you're actually meeting them or not hi i'm chris handley i don't care give me the tickets yeah that perspective is just something that's really interesting to, to get that input yeah it was it was really it was very cool and i felt like with the with the parade of celebrities that i was like i made it you know i the the day that steven sondheim came and asked for his ticket i was like this i this is it i have arrived you know, I was I was a foot away from man himself is right in front of you, not looking, not making eye contact at all. Just put Absolutely. the stand out, put the tickets in. Yes. Nice. But it's interesting too how many celebrities are surprised if you know who they are, or at least feign surprise. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, because he came up and he he goes, yeah, the name's Sondheim. Yeah, I know the name. I know who you are. I've looked at the tickets. I know you're coming tonight. I've been waiting for this moment for eight hours. You know? <laughs> well, I mean, how arrogant would it be to come, for him to just show up at the window and go, "Give me the ticket," right? Is you know because who right. you know you you could be maybe you graduated from high school with a, a you know working in metal shop and you the last thing you care about is the greatest living American composer. Very true. You don't care about that. Very so, true. He, he yeah. looks at you and he thinks, well, this doofus doesn't know me. It's Sondheim. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. And and so during that time, I, I spent the summers uh, doing summer stock. Um, I went up to New Hampshire for four summers and worked at the uh, Mount Washington Valley Playhouse. And I worked at the Shawnee Playhouse. And then uh, I worked at... Um, Bristol Valley Theater, which yes. I still continue to go back to. Uh, this this year, this summer would have been my tenth summer there. Mentioning all the time that you were doing box office things in New York, that you were working at the box office, and and one thing led to another. You ended up at the Bristol Playhouse in the the whole riverboat thing. You were singing in a riverboat uh, for you know that adage that it's darkest before dawn. You know when when everything is awful and you hate your life and. And then the next morning, somebody calls and offers you a job. It was a friend of mine from my first year at Mercyhurst who was working on this riverboat. And she said, somebody just quit after the first week of rehearsal. Do you have any interest in doing this? And so I sent in a tape. And then two and a half years of my life later, I was I had been singing on this boat, which was a crazy, wonderful time of I learned to sing with a band. I learned a lot of music. I learned how to really be part of an ensemble. There were four of us singing and you have to trust each other. I learned how to put in shows when somebody on the other cast was out and I had to go swing in for them. And, and Had you even hit the age of 30 yet? Um, I'm not holding you to this. I'm just, I'm just curious if you were this wide-eyed kid who's absorbing like a sponge everything around him or if you'd sort of been around and, and uh, you know, a little bit, a little bit older, a little bit more worldly wise. I think that I had, I was 30. Ish. 30 ish. I was on the other side of, I was on this side of 30 by the time I was on the boat. Okay. So let's get into it. What are you doing back here in Buffalo? Because all of a sudden I see your name everywhere. As I told you the first time I saw you was in Tally's Folly with the JRT. Then of course I've seen you in Shakespeare's. And, and of course, uh, you know, then uh, uh, what was it last year at, at 710? Fun Home, of course. Yes, with Musical Fair. Yeah. So uh, what, what was the decision like? I had just finished grad school. Right after the boat, I went to grad school at Indiana. And when I finished Indiana University, I thought, I don't want to go back to New York. I just finally learned how to be an actor, I felt, from a really great teacher there. And 
I had had this interview with a, a theater somewhere else. And five minutes into the Skype call, the guy said, uh, thank you very much, and hung up. <laughs> and I was so... Pissed. Always very encouraging. Yeah, I was done. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I emailed some folks back here and I said, hey, you know, here's my, here's my stuff. Do you have any roles available? And it was May. And little did I know that everybody in Buffalo has cast their seasons. For the last five months, it's been done. But Neil Radis said, well, you know, I'm cast, but we were just, ta- we were just talking about you. And do you want to run a theater company? And I said... Just out of nowhere? Well, so I had done two shows with Neil. Okay, all right. Uh, before, before that question came up. Before that question. And we had been in touch about doing shows throughout the years, and it just never worked out. And then it sort of seemed out of the blue, but it, but apparently he'd been thinking about this uh, going on and, and talking with people about who could be the person. And apparently my name had come up and sort of fortuitously, uh, we, we were thinking about each other at the same time. And I'd always, you know, I had started Dramatist Personae years ago and I, I loved that creative time and, and wanted to keep doing it. So I said, okay, Let's talk about it. You know, let's have this conversation. Mm-hmm. So that made the decision to come home much easier. Sure. You sure. know, and I didn't feel like, oh, I'm coming home because I don't know what else to do. I was coming home because I had, because I knew exactly what I was going to do. I wasn't sure. I thought perhaps you had come here to do some shows and so on. And then this happened and it was sort of, it's what made you stay here. But really what the way it worked was that this is what, drew you back here to begin with. Yeah. And it's almost like next week will be three years to the date of that beginning of that conversation. And look how you're celebrating. <laughs> Cheers to you. <laughs> All right. So let's talk about the alleyway a little bit. And just, you know what, let's talk pre-COVID. Neil decides he's going to retire. He talks to you. You decide to accept and come back to Buffalo full time. Did you at that point say to yourself, I have a vision of what I can do with this place? Or did you just say, uh, let's go see what happens and let the chips fall where they may? Did, did you have a, an idea in your head? Here's, here's the direction I wanna go. If, if all other things were equal and we weren't all in quarantine right now, did you have an idea? Yeah, you know, and he made me, as part of the, as part of the, the grilling process, yeah. he made me sort of write a, he said, you know, what, what's your plan? What would be your plan? Write it out for me. Tell me what, how you'd fix this place. You know, what would you do? Uh, yeah, I do. I did have a plan. I do have a plan, I think. And it started with, I'm really glad that, it, that Neil asked me because I, I really love and believe so much in the mission of doing new plays. And when I was in New York, a lot of the stuff I did were new plays. I, I was lucky to be on, as an actor in a lot of new plays. And then in grad school, there was a playwriting cohort also. And, and so I got to see how their work happened and really participate in that. I was in a lot of those and in a lot of the readings and workshops. And I think, I just think new plays are so important. And so being part of the alleyway mission. So you want to continue the mission, not uh, make it something completely different. Was that part of Neil's criteria? He wanted somebody to continue the mission, or did he want someone who would just take the ball and run with it in whatever direction they wanted, or was it a little of each? You know, we ha- I think it's a little of each. We've had that conversation 
uh, a lot, you know, and he says, you know, he said, you, this is going to be a different company when I'm gone. Mm-hmm. And, and it is just by virtue of it's a different person in those shoes. But it's so important to me. It's so I, I'm just really grateful for this, uh, that, it, that it fell in this way and that it is these uh, new plays that I'm able to find and, and keep creating on. I think the difference is Neil does and did everything uh, himself. And I said, when I was interviewing for this job, I said, I, I don't and I can't. But the benefit of that I bring with me is a network of people who are really, really great at what they do. Mm-hmm. And so uh, pre-quarantine, my plan had been anyway to start seeing how we can work more on developing new plays. Like if there's there's the production level of the, the season that we're going to produce. And then on a secondary level, have a program, a development lab where we work on new plays throughout the year. Okay. And that's different. For, well, there's also the theater school of Western New York that I was going to yeah. talk about as well, but that's a separate thing. Correct. So what you're telling me is that the mission stays the same. It just will no longer be a one man show, a one man operation. Uh, you're going to try to bring in as many, well, not going to try to bring in, you're going to need to bring in outside creativity. Yeah. Continue the mission, but in a different, in a different way. Yeah, I I really um, am such a proponent proponent of collaboration. To me, I can't work on a play by myself in my room, which has become very evident right now. <laughs> I need to be in a room with other people working on it, and so yeah. I'm. That's what I'm going to bring to it next season, or or at some point, um, yes. is putting more people in the room to work on a script. That's what theater is: is collaboration. The more minds. Why should I'm not the smartest person in the room? I don't want to be the smartest person in the room, because then I'm not I'm not learning. Well, nobody is, but collaboration is what it's all about. Without it, there would not be the creative. Well, there wouldn't be anything would not have the same creativity involved. Anytime I've done anything when I've directed and so on, it's somebody brings something to you and you say, "Oh, I didn't even think of that." You know that it's. You know, my dear friend Saul has said, and, and I'm sure maybe you've heard him say this, he's so open to collaboration when you're doing Shakespeare because he, he says, well, I'm perfectly willing to accept the <laughs> I'm ex- accept the credit for somebody else's idea. Yes, yes, good, that's right. He, you know, I'll, I'll accept the credit for it. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I know exactly what you mean. You want to talk briefly about the Theater School of Western that's New York? From 2018, you, you yeah. started it and... It's housed in the alleyway. It's it's sort of how we mm-hmm. um, uh, made it possible for me to have a job at alleyway. I never thought that I wanted to teach ever. I thought this is the yes. worst job in the world. Who wants to do that? And also, what do I have to teach? And then in grad school, I had to uh, right. to receive the stipend. You know so that I could go there. I, luckily, I got a stipend didn't have to pay for it but so I had to teach and it turns out I really enjoyed it because those moments where you connect and collaborate with somebody yes and see that moment in uh, <laughs> anybody's eyes where they get yes. is the coolest awesomest thing and and I when I came back I felt like there wasn't a place okay. in Buffalo that was doing that like Studio Arena used to and so and so that's what that's why I sort of felt like there was a place for this school to start. You're literally with the, the old studio school in mind, you're thinking of this as a uh, a natural 
progression from what they did to what you want to do with the, you know, with the theater school of Western New York? I hope so. I mean, I think, I think there's so much opportunity and, um, for training and continued training. And there's so many people who are, who want it. And there's so many people out there who have amazing skills that I would love them to share with the community. So it's, I feel like we're, you know, we're still small potatoes, you know, we're still growing and we're still trying to find our feet. And now we're trying to find our feet online and see how that can work. And, um, but yeah, I think that education is, education has been in the mission of Alleyway since, well, I don't know if it's since the beginning, but I would think since the beginning. Um, Mm -hmm. and it's in our mission anyway. And so it seemed like a natural, do you have a, do you have a target uh, clientele that you're aiming for? Are you trying to get uh, city kids or, you know, just, or is it going out to anybody? It's anybody, you know, we started, uh, I started doing some uh, classes for, um, or tried to do classes for elementary school kids. And that was sort of a, a flop. We didn't get people joining us. And there's, because there's already enough programs for that around town, mm-hmm. but for, but for high school kids and adults, that's sort of where, where we're finding people are, are interested. So that's who you're aiming for. Yeah. High school and adult. Yeah. High school up, um, you know, the, with all the university programs in town, people who are college age are getting that education if they want it at their college. So mm-hmm. I think it's, it's high school kids and then post-college, essentially. The people who have joined us have been really lovely and having a great time and enjoying their time with, I'm, I'm slowly getting out of the teaching because there's other people who are great to do it. And Karen McDonald is like, our, everybody loves Karen and they're coming back to, to study with Karen and Don Gervaisi has been uh, teaching some improv classes. And what's the status of it right now? We are, well, obviously in-person classes are on hold and we're trying to plan online classes. Oh, you're, you're in the planning stages of online classes. You're not in the middle of them at this point. We have not put any online yet. Okay. My hope is, that if I can get my act together, my hope is for June that we'll have classes online. Okay, so I guess it's time to talk about it. You may not be able to reveal anything about what the plans are for the alleyway because uh, and it may be too soon to make any announcements, but are you in the process right now of thinking about how to continue this in some way starting in September. Am I in the process of thinking about it? I wish I could think about anything else. <laughs> is there a board or is there are there advisors with you? Neil, for example, I'm sure is still involved in some way. But are there people sitting down as the alleyway planning committee to say, we have to let let's come up with some ideas? Sure. Yeah. And we're th- we're thinking about the different possibilities. You know, you have to put, I feel like we have to plan three or four or six or 10 different possibilities and scenarios. Um, you know, and I read the news, the theater news every day and see what people are planning and thinking across the country. And I was just, did the vir- a virtual conference last week, the, the TCG conference, and was in a room with 200 artistic directors around the country, listening to everybody's solutions or attempts at a solution and you see some companies announcing their season you see some companies announcing a season but not putting any dates on the shows you see some companies like the Guthrie just did canceling their season until March of next year um and I'm sure those those three eventualities are in the plan are 
in the works for theaters in Buffalo, exactly those three things. Here's a season with no dates. Here's here's a, a, a season that's not really a season, but we might do things online. And here's no season at all until 21, 22. Yep. And, and I guess that's what you're looking at. Yeah, and we keep looking at it and seeing what is, it gets into a really interesting question of what is, how important is theater? Is theater essential? Should we be making art in a time like this? Are we just filling the void because we don't know what else to do with our time? Um, or is it really important? So are you suggesting that there is a negative answer to any of those questions? Because I think, and I'd like to hear your opinion about it. I mean, I think it may not be considered, quote unquote, an essential business, the way grocery stores are. But what is it about theater and entertainment in general, not just the alleyway, you know, I'm not asking you to plug the alleyway, I just, but what is there about what we do or what you do that is of grave importance to the life we live here in Western New York? Yeah. Think back to, well, let's imagine back to the time of the cavemen. Yeah. They sat around a campfire and told stories because that's what they did at the end of the day. Sure. I do believe that it's so important. And my teacher in grad school brought this up, you know, because she talked about the arts after 9-11 and what is what was that moment like and how how vital are they and I think when we look at the people who are doing the essential work honestly the essential work of the the first responders yes um sometimes we have and certainly I have had this feeling of well it doesn't matter what I'm doing I'm not saving I'm not physically saving a life right now but I think that we are saving lives because look at what we do when we get sad and gloomy and depressed, right? We turn on a story. We read a book. We listen to music. We watch these streaming theater films online to connect and communicate and hear and share stories. Yes. Um, I think, I never remember, I think it's Laurie Metcalf in an interview in the Times who said, you serve the world most by doing the thing you love most. And I am not a doctor <laughs> you know so i can't go there and save somebody's life physically but i am a storyteller and i think that and you're a storyteller and we are in this community that's what we do and i think if we share our stories it does lift people out of that gloom it lifts me out of it i i need that i desperately need that and so i do think that it's important for us to like you said, find the silver lining in this, figure out what we can do to continue sharing these stories with each other in this new way. Whatever the new way ends up being. Yeah. I think we don't know yet what can be done. I think we're still brainstorming. I think, I think watching all of these stories on unfurl in front of us, whether it's in film or whether it's in song uh, or whether it's on stage, reminds us that we're all you know, together part of this human family. And I think that's probably why, why as you said, the cavemen started sell, telling those stories to begin with. They, they were telling stories to share. Yeah, and be part of each other and, and inspire each other, I think, into things, you know, wh why in history did dictators shut down theaters? Yes. Because, because they were t telling truths, maybe, like you're saying, very simple truths, like you found in Tally's Folly. Right. That's not a that's not a a, a, a life changing world changing truth. No, it's just a simple thing in the corner of your heart that makes you think, oh, yeah, I get that. But it's a truth. And 
And so to shut us down, to shut down the storytellers or for the storytellers, I think, to feel as if we we should we're not important or we don't need to at this point or we should shut ourselves down. I think that's dangerous. I think we have to, you know, lean in to the constrictions and great art is made when you're in a box. Right. If you say go draw a picture. Well, what am I going to draw? But if you say draw a picture in this box, well, now I'm, I can create something stronger. And to shut down the theaters is uh, to shut down thinking. The more you cut down on what people see and absorb and take into themselves, the more you are cutting down on their ability to think. Let me ask you one final question here. Is, if, if there's any, is there anything that you, any message you'd like to send out, a message of, how about to, to people who are fans of the alleyway and uh, want to help or want to, you know, any suggestions that you can give us? Uh, and the answer is no, ladies and gentlemen. So. <laughs> I don't know. I haven't felt nervous until this moment. <laughs> well, the good news is while you're thinking about that, I can tell you that I was going to ask you my big final question, which is off road. Uh, let me take you off road. And if you were not doing what you're doing now and we're not involved in acting, singing and producing and so on, what would you be doing? And you already answered that question. You'd be running a circus. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. <laughs> so that question's out of the way. Uh, you, you'd be a, a carnival barker of some sort, some sort, and now I no, need to master, a ringmaster. A ringmaster. Sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to demote you. <laughs> Not a carnival barker. <laughs> the potato, potato. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, now, now I've got to press you. Any any words of encouragement or hope or, or anything you could ask people? You know, if they say, well, "What can we do? Is there anything that is there anything that our audiences can do? Is there anything that they can perhaps?" encourage legislators to understand the significance of these cultural organizations? Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> so the answer is yes. Well, here's the thing. I, I, I do want to say, I, I just want to go back to the other question for a second, because I want to say that I'm, I'm not advocating, when I was talking about shutting down theaters, I'm not advocating that theaters should be open right now. I understand. I, I don't want to say that at all. We have to be we have to be safe. Yes, we do. And so I think um, I don't know at this time, I want to tell people to just wear your mask and be safe and um, be there when we're ready to bring you back in. Yeah. You know, in the meantime, yeah, watch our our Sunday morning brunch series that we're doing. I've seen a couple of them. Sure. Give if you can give money to some company who, who you love, if it's us or anybody else in town. But I think I really do think that. My, if I could, yeah, my message is be smart and be cautious about this. I think there's, there's days where I feel like, oh, everything's fine. I'm going to go. I, why am I not going to the store? I'm going to go to the store right now. And those are the dangerous days. I think you have to be really cautious and just assume. I think there's a, there's a cavalier attitude that I see sometimes and around the country we see it and theater will be back storytelling is happening now it's happening in a different way and we just have to adapt to it and to say that it's crazy that all this is crazy there will be new stories that come out of this as well these these will make up our future stories you know th these will be our stories of the future and we want the audience to still be there <laughs> when we finally do come back stay alive to, so you can come back and and join us yeah it's a sacrifice that we make now so that we can 
come back for something. Who is it? Churchill, who stood in the ruined theater and said, you know, what are we fighting for? This is what we're fighting for. Right. If, if we don't have this, why, why are we bothering? Right. Yeah. It's, it, that's why we're, we're staying home and we're wearing the mask so that we can see theater again, so that we can go to hear an orchestra again together, so that we can share these stories together. We have to make the sacrifice. And so the sacrifice is that I have to sit on my couch you know, like, it's really, I think that uh, we're not being asked. We're not being asked to ask to do a lot. No, this is not like World War II. No, it's, uh, it's different. It is, I think, it, in certain ways, it's very different. And it's, it's, I think, as challenging as anything else. And certainly the isolation and the, the um, emotional, mental toll that it takes is, as my teacher in high school would say, nothing to sneeze at. The Spanish flu 100 years ago, they didn't have Zoom. Yeah. They didn't have cable. They didn't have Netflix. Yeah. Yeah. And for those of us who it is, you know, and there are people certainly who it's not. Yes. You know, and I, I think maybe that's a message is, is count the blessings that we do have because man, it could be, it could be worse. It could be so bad. And it is so bad for so many people. Chris, it's been delightful talking to you. Yeah. I want to take you out for a, for a drink or a coffee or something sometime. Well, that'd be nice. Uh, it, it would be. Do Do you take milk in your coffee? I take. Uh, I, I uh, I'm always embarrassed to talk about my coffee drinks and my alcoholic drinks because I'm a real sissy. Uh, real men drink scotch. I drink flavored vodkas and and Southern comfort Manhattans. Or or I do like a nice Tangeray Martini. My coffee. I drink vanilla flavored coffee creamer. No. In my coffee. Yes. Although I'm now I'm now I'm partial to all these uh, Italian sweet cream coffee creamer. Okay. So I I sh cream and sugar in my coffee. I, I had a, a a colleague of mine when I was teaching who said you, you you need to drink your coffee black. Just drink it black for six weeks and you'll never go back. I drank it black for three months, and I hated every minute of it. And when it was over, I said, "Why?" Am I torturing myself? I have one stinking cup of coffee a day. That's one teaspoon of sugar a day. Why am I even using skim milk? It's this, it's this much, you know, whole milk. It's not going to kill me even at my age. So I went back and now I'm enjoying my coffee the way I like it. Damn it. As long as you're happy, that's good. <laughs> Why am I torturing myself? I don't like vanilla uh, creamer, but, but I'll, I'll, I like you the way you are. What a very diplomatic way to put it. Chris, it was lovely talking to you. I hope we get to share. I, no, I don't hope. I know we will get to share a coffee or a drink in the relative, everything's relative now, relatively near future. Yeah. Good luck with the alleyway. I, I love that space, and I can't wait to see what you do with it. Uh, and I'm sure, well, and I'm sure you're, I'm sure you have ideas in the back of your head that, that have since been, you know, sidetracked a little bit, but they'll all come back because you're you're, all... a young, you're a young guy yet. You got a lot of time. Well, thanks. I hope so. I got a lot of plans. <laughs> got a lot of plans. I'm sure you do. Thanks, Chris. Good talk. Right, you. You. Bye bye now. Chris Handley, that young man is going to go far. If you ask me, and, and nobody's asked me. Least of all, Lisa Ludwig, who's up next from Shakespeare in Delaware Park. You know, it ain't summer unless there's Shakespeare. Welcome, Lisa Ludwig from Shakespeare in Delaware Park. How are you? 
I am. I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I'm so excited because after this interview, I get to go to my pharmacy and pick up my drugs. <laughs> <laughs> my medications. I haven't been there in like three months. Why don't you have them deliver them? Well, I, I'm I'm not sure if they do that. And, and it's just a little hole-the-wall place in Hamburg. There'll be like two people in there working. So I'm not worried about exposure, and I'll be wearing my mask anyway. Okay. Thank you. Thank you. So do you still have your full complement of workers there at SDP? We do. We do. Our staff, we're, we're all working from home. But we, we have staff meetings every day and are continuing uh, to work to keep involved with the community. And so, yeah, so, so we're working every day. We are a little sad right now. Because? We did um, have to cancel our second show, our main stage show. It's unfortunately out of our hands right now. But, yeah, we will have to postpone this season until next year. Just because we, we just don't have uh, the protocols. So will next year be the 45th anniversary season? This is how we're looking at it, um, because we are in the plans right now. We have a touring show. It is a four-person touring show, 45th anniversary celebration of Shakespeare in Delaware Park. It's kind of the best of Shakespeare that we have hopes and plans um, in collaboration with the Olmstead Parks that in August or early September, when we are available to convene again in groups, that we will be able to do this pop-up show in the different parks in the area. So it's called the, the Intermezzo, which means in between the show. Um, so this is our in between the main season production. So I'm thinking Next year will be the full-blown 45th anniversary season, and this will be known as the intermezzo season. Yes, this is the intermezzo between 44 and 45. Correct. This doesn't count as a season. It is merely an intermezzo between 44 and 45. What an interesting concept, an intermezzo. Yes. <laughs> but again, our goal is, I mean, theater is meant, especially Shakespeare, is meant to be seen and heard live, be out there. And, and, and that is our goal when it is safe and when people feel comfortable for us to be able to have this performance for people. And, you know, we're lucky because we perform outside and there, there will be a way that, uh, you know, we can keep people feeling comfortable. But still be able to to watch a live performance, which I think when we are able to do that again, people are really going to want to see live theater. It's interesting you say that because I was talking to Tony the other day and he said, you know, at least Shakespeare does not have the overhead. You don't have a theater that you're paying rent on. You're not really incurring any debt or or a lot of expenses to maintain a building. So you have that advantage of not having to cancel a season and then going into tremendous debt because of a building and bills that you have to pay and structure that you have to maintain. Right. A lot of people don't know, for example, our stage every year, we have to put up and take down our stage. It is not a permanent fixture in the park. So, yes, you know, we do have costs when we have a full season that we incur. But if we do not put up the stage this summer, we will not incur that cost. And, and we're also very lucky, unlucky, lucky. We're all unlucky right now that, that we cannot 
partake in, in getting in groups and experiencing theater like we want to, and especially at Shakespeare in Delaware Park. You know, it's this beautiful community picnic, you know, where we're all together and there happens to be a professional show happening. We're not going to get to do that full out this year, but we are also blessed in the fact now that we have a full year to, you know, see how this is playing out, what the protocols are going to be, and, and how we can come back next summer better and stronger and prepared to have people, you know, safely uh, perform and enjoy outdoor theater. So explain a little bit about what the intermezzo is going to be. Sure. So we're, we're actually doing a lot. Like I said, our staff is still working. So we're, we're working, doing a lot of community engagement. We're doing a guest artist series that is on Facebook and Instagram where amazing people, you know, like Peter Pomisano, him talk about uh, different aspects of Shakespeare. So it's, it's kind of a behind the scenes thing. We had uh, somebody talk about costumes and talk about acting and directing. So that's happening. And then this intermezzo show, as I said, it's, it's a four person show that really it's like I said, it's the best of Shakespeare. So every one of your, your favorite scenes, the Romeo and Juliet balcony scene and, and things like that are, are intermixed in this 45 minute presentation. And we will be able, we'll let people know what parks we're going to be in and what time that's going to be again when it is safe and when we're able to do that. And um, it, it'll be just a fun celebration of, of 45 years of SDP. And again, you're traveling around to different parks to do this presentation. Yes. So again, once we are free to do that, we will uh, announce to everybody the schedule as to what park we will be in, where we will be in it, at what time. Okay. But, you know, that will, that will work out more as the next month goes on. And so uh, what else do you have going on? Well, we normally in the summer have an amazing apprentice program called Shakespeareance, where the students take classes during the day and then they work the shows. Obviously this year we can't do that, but working with students is such an important part of what we do and something we love. We're actually right now doing a Shakespeare monologue workshop uh, because there was actually supposed to be a Shakespeare festival for high school uh, students doing monologues happening in this month. So we wanted to give them an outlet. So they're going to be doing one-on-one monologue class with with some of our, our teachers and actors and work on a monologue. Then they're going to submit their monologue to us and we're going to be able to share their monologues on our, our uh, social media platforms. So we're really, really excited to, to be able to work with, with the students this summer as well. I know they, everybody might be getting sick of seeing things online, but that is a way that, that we're able to, to reach out and do it right now until we can be together again in person. So are you charging anything for these monologue classes or what? No, it is absolutely free. Again, one of the things, you know, we're really lucky, you know, Shakespeare and Delaware Park, our performances are free. The This online monologue is, is going to be free as well for students. Again, we are still eager, willing, and able to, to take donations. And people have been just so generous to us. Again, we wouldn't have been here for 45 years without the generous sponsors, you know, M&T Bank, the foundations like the Cullen Foundation, Erie County, when we passed the hat, you know, and our members. I really 
can't thank them enough. And now is our time to continue to, to give back to, to them a little as well for, for being there for us for 45 years. And as you mentioned to me uh, the other day, this is the year of giving back, as you called it. Yes, we're taking, you know, like I said, we have been so lucky. I mean, to see 40,000 audience members a summer. And when we, we pass that hat, to be able to put in what they can. Shakespeare in Delaware Park is sometimes somebody's first experience to see live theater. It is where a family can bring their entire family. And, you know, when we pass the hat, they put in what they can. And after 45 years, we're now seeing people who were brought when they were children, now bringing their children or grandparents. It, it's just such a special thing. And and we are so grateful for our audiences supporting us for so many years and having faith in us to be there for them. And now, again, with this program with the students, if we can do it for free, that's what we want to do. Again, our pop-up show, when we do it, will be free, of course, just like in Shakespeare's time and all of our time, we will take donations for that. And if people feel that they can donate and make sure that we're here for another 45 years, that would be wonderful. But yes, these, these programs are right now remaining free. Okay. So uh, two quick things. Number one, who is performing in the Intermezzo? Who are your four performers? And number two, where can people find your online content? What platforms will it be on? Sure. Well, we're using actors, four of our actors who were supposed to be in our, our summer performances. So uh, Jamie Noblo, Zach Bellis, Marie Hasselbeck-Costa and Angelo Heimowitz. They have all appeared on Shakespeare stage and we're, we're happy that they're going to be able to do this show for us. And the platforms we're on, we're on uh, Instagram, Facebook. And again, you can find all of this on our website, which is www.shakespeareindelawarepark.org. That is the best way to follow what we're doing as soon as we know what parks and what dates we're going to be on. We will announce that on all of those platforms so that people know. But I do really recommend, you know, you start, if you're not already following us, follow us now for the guest artist series. Again, if you want to find out more about the high school monologue project, you can go to our website and follow. There, there's a lot of interesting content that we're trying to put out every day. So I really, really recommend people follow us. And it's all for free. And I just thought of another question. So next year, which I just decided will be the 45th anniversary season officially because I just decided it. Thank you. You're going to do the same shows next year that you were supposed to do this year with the same cast. Is that correct? Absolutely. All the actors and crew, um, all of our production teams were invited back next summer. People have been getting back to me wholeheartedly. They can't wait to do it next summer. If for some reason we have an actor here or there uh, who has another obligation by that time or something happens, we would hold auditions for those roles. But right now our, our hope is to be able to have our entire team uh, together next year so we can present, our, as Peter said, our official 45th anniversary season of Free Shakespeare in Delaware Park. And uh, speaking of official, you know, Shakespeare in Delaware Park for me is the official start of summer. So we will miss you terribly this year, but we look forward to the 45th anniversary season next year. 
For Shakespeare in Delaware Park, Lisa Ludwig, thank you so much for being here on Off-Road with us. Thank you, Peter. Thank you. Well, no, don't talk to me about opening up. I don't need to open up. I, this, this is as open as I get. It, oh, never mind. Well, I don't know about you, but I'm kind of uh, enjoying this new format. And yeah, we ran a little long this time, but uh, that, we'll be back to our normal length next time. So if you're using this as a method of timing yourself, going back and forth to work, or going back and forth to your kitchen or your bedroom, I'm sorry that it went a little long this time. But it was worth it, I thought. And next time we will officially be in the new format, which is to have two interviews with some Buffalo cultural leaders and two interviews with some theater leaders, in each case to focus on what plans are being made to adapt to this new reality and to bring some hope to all of us who are looking forward to a real reopening of all of our favorite activities. Oh, and did you guess who the mystery guest was this week? I'm sure you did. David Lundy, out there on Grand Island with his lovely wife, Mari, and uh, lovely words of encouragement. And if you have something to say, I'd, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to have different mystery guests on every episode. I'd love to put out some questions like, uh, what's your favorite guilty pleasure in quarantine? Or, as a matter of fact, let's make that the question for next time. What's your favorite guilty pleasure that you indulge in? Uh, it just occurred to me we probably should keep it PG rated. That you indulge in while you're in quarantine. I'd love for you to share that with me. Send it to rltpoffroad at gmail.com. Just send a little audio recording, and I'd love to put it on the podcast with all the rest of us. So until next time, in a couple of weeks, this has been Off-Road with Pete Pomisano, an RLTP podcast. Podcast.